My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a scholar of the law, tested him by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. The Gospel of the Lord. Is this the hardest of all gospel passages to follow? Most likely our impulse would be to say no because we think of so many others that seem so more demanding to forgive those who've hurt us, love our enemies, take up our crosses to follow Jesus. They seem far more difficult when we hear this command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, the familiarity of it, the the fact that it's sounding so promising, so idealistic, we can kind of just not along in agreement without really thinking and considering how incredibly challenging this is. Particularly for us living here in the, the Western world, the first world in 2023, where our lives are so accustomed to, to comfort and convenience, where even those who struggle financially, comparatively speaking to many of our ancestors or many of our brothers and sisters around the globe, would be seen as wealthy. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbors yourself. The impact of those words can be lost when we think about where people are, where where their minds, their hearts, and souls are, and how our comfort, convenience, and wealth have impacted those things. When it comes to the mind, for example, This year, university professors were discussing how to deal with this thing called ChatGPT, which is this artificial intelligence computer program that's taken cheating to a new level. Supposedly, you can just go online, you can type into this program whatever topic it is you're studying and direct it to write a paper that's highly specific and even customized to sound as if you were a 20-year-old college student who wrote it. Someone told me that I could go on there and say to this thing, here are the scriptures I'm looking at and give them my website where I post all my homilies and it could spit out a homily for me sounding the way I would sound. I promise I didn't do that today. I haven't even thought about looking at it because the thing just creeps me out beyond my imagination. 
but that this is a legitimate thing that academics are having quite a, a difficult time dealing with in all kinds of different situations with their students. Just discussing this with a few professors, I couldn't help but flash back. I never thought I'd say this, but in my day, cheating was far more complicated. In my philosophy class in college, a friend of mine got caught plagiarizing something. And I remember our professor pointing out to them how hard they had worked to find something to research and rewrite it in a way just to cover it up. That had they just put a little more effort in, they could have legitimately written the paper instead of committing this act of academic fraud. But now it's this competition between computers. The cheater having it produce a paper for them and the professor hoping that their computer can identify that it's inauthentic. So that's just one example of how there's been a, a dumbing down of the mind. When it comes to the heart, <clears throat> a few years ago, a priest friend had this young man explaining to him how he was planning to ask his girlfriend to marry him. He detailed how he had scouted out the location, he had hired a photographer to hide in the bushes and have a drone overhead, <clears throat> arranged the families to be there to celebrate afterwards. All he needed from this priest was prayers for good weather. My friend, who happens to be a bit more frank and a little more unfiltered than I am, if you can believe that, replied to this guy, romance is dead. The poor guy kind of had his jaw drop and wasn't expecting that reaction. I probably wouldn't have said that or like that to this guy who's obviously put a lot of time, energy, and thought into making this a special occasion. But I see my friend's point that so often with engagements and weddings, <clears throat> mainly because they become such expensive enterprises that sometimes people spend so much time and energy and resources to create an event they're focusing their, their genuine emotions and their sincere affections on what's most important. And that was just one dramatic example. The advertisements telling us to demonstrate our love for those closest to us is by buying them something for Christmas has already been airing for weeks already. <clears throat> there are a lot of ways a person's heart and the, the matters of the heart have been co-opted in our day and age. And as for the soul, that sense of the eternal nature of a person is so foreign to a growing and increasingly vocal number of people. Look at the derogatory ways that prayer is treated in public discourse, where prayer shaming has become a thing, where people will try to cancel you for daring to say that you're praying in response to something notable, something significant, a crisis or a tragedy. Just this past week, you could see that happening, whether it was for the victims of the mass shooting in Maine or for the horrors of war, inflicting violence and death on countless numbers of innocent people in a growing number of places throughout the world. When Pope Francis asked the world to unite in the day of fasting and prayer this past Friday, it wasn't hard to find people mocking, deriding it, pivoting it to purely political discussions where they wanted to criticize things that were being said or done by anyone who was participating in that prayer, including the Pope. 
Those were just some realities that hit me sitting with this gospel. And how, as Jesus reminds us, the greatest of commandment of, of all the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Why it's so difficult and challenging on just a very basic level. The comfort and convenience of our world have numbed so many hearts and minds. The wealth of our world has caused many to devalue or even deny the soul. And as for love, love has been so trivialized and manipulated to being seen simply as something of pleasure that I want. Heck, McDonald's has been for decades marketing that you can love a Big Mac. You can love a filet of fish. You can love an order of french fries in what's been described as their most successful marketing campaign, their I'm loving it campaign. You might enjoy a Big Mac, God bless you, but no, you can't love a hamburger. You can't love a fast food restaurant. Praise God we're here together at this holy sacrifice of the Mass. Whether you're a learned theologian, you're here because someone dragged you to CCD to faith formation and you know there's something of value even if it's hard to articulate somewhere in between. Or even if you just stumbled here and you're unsure of how or why you found yourself here this morning. It's a tremendous thing for us to be here and to hear these scriptures being proclaimed. Because we believe that every time we gather for this sacred assembly and these words are proclaimed, we're not reading this for some historical lesson or a Bible study. God himself is speaking to us in this present moment. Each of us knows without providing a news report of the lack of peace in the world, in our nation, in our lives that we're experiencing. How unsettled and unsatisfied so many around us, so many of us might be feeling. How helpless we are in the face of so many problems that threaten us. And how hopeless so many are becoming as they double and triple down on turning away from God and trying to convince themselves and others that when everyone falls in line with whatever political talking point is being amplified at the moment, whatever cause is in fashion of the day, then everything will be fine. Yet, inevitably, at every time this has failed and it will always fail when we turn from God. Praise God, we find ourselves here and thank God. He comes to us and he speaks to us in these scriptures today. Words that speak to the deepest longings of our hearts, that desire peace, that find a lack of fulfillment from all the comforts and conveniences and wealth of the world. And in these most familiar of words, Jesus himself provides us the answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Pointing us to the reality that it's when we have a reverence for God's law that we see the commandments as God's gift to us, that they're not this arbitrary thing that's just leveled out to control and inhibit humanity, 
but that their commands meant for authentic freedom, for our ultimate happiness, for human beings to be able to, to flourish and live in peace with one another. But that can only be realized when love is understood and treated just as reverently and just as essential. As one Catholic theologian pointed out, without love, the law is cold. But without law, love is just a mere emotion. So Jesus calling us to love God with all our heart, he's asking us to have our emotions and our affections directed to him. With all of our minds, meaning to actively engage our intellects, to to know God, to, to learn about him, to desire for more truth about who he is. And with all of our souls, where we recognize that that innermost part of ourselves, that place where we desire greater, meaningful things, things that are not fleeting, that long to be satisfied and fulfilled, that are nudging at us, that innermost part that is our soul. And not allowing ourselves to be tempted to think the soul can be satisfied by something purchased. A fellow human being even can't fulfill our souls as well-intentioned as any of them might be, even as intimately close as they can be, like a spouse or a parent or a child or a sibling, simply because they're a fellow fallen human being as broken as we are. Now we have to focus our souls on God, knowing that he's the all-good, all-loving creator of all things. He wants to fulfill us now and for all eternity. And he wants us to have that peace that the world cannot give. And that's found because he wants us to want him, to be united with him and his perfect love. It's when we get our hearts, minds, and souls right about what they are and where their energies need to be directed that this commandment starts to be realized and starts to make sense. Because when that genuinely and sincerely happens, that love of neighbor is instinctual because we're not focused on ourselves. We're not weighed down by pettiness. We're not competing with one another. There's no room for that. There's just no time for that. To this day, one of my most memorable moments in my time in campus ministry has been when we took a group of students on this mission trip to Appalachia in Kentucky. The students each had to fundraise their way to spend their spring break on this trip. They took a, we took a 13 hour van ride from Montclair to Kentucky, sleeping in these massive rooms that accommodated 30 women in the one and 30 men in the other on these bunk beds. And they had these communal showers and bathrooms. It was far from the Shangri-La. Had to wake up 5 o'clock every morning for Mass at 5.30 and then have breakfast at 6 o'clock. And then they were each separated from our Montclair group and sent off individually to work sites with a group of other college students they had never met before as they worked to rebuild homes for people who were poor and elderly and ill. And the rides to these work sites could be 30 to 60 minutes and the days were very long and hard, doing manual labor for a solid eight hours. 
with the hope that in the four days that we were out there and we worked, and then the two other weeks that other groups came and did the same thing for this, this program, that we would be contributing to rebuilding or doing at least some serious renovations to these homes that were just in terrible, terrible condition. Anyway, every night we gathered for college night where we had our students come and share what happened on their work sites and to share some of their experiences. And at one point, this one girl had been really kind of quiet and very reflective. And then she just out of nowhere said, why is it I'm so tired, I'm so exhausted. I haven't been able to connect on Wi-Fi because there is no Wi-Fi. I can't use my phone. I haven't been on social media all week. These beds and showers are what they are. And yet, I don't know if I've ever felt more joy and peace in my life before. She needed this dramatic experience to help conceive of what Jesus is telling us in today's gospel and to realize that in her own life. And we pointed out to her that it was her openness in coming, her stepping out in faith and her putting God and others first that helped stretch her understanding to come to the truth of this lesson. God is constantly putting opportunities like that out there for every single one of us. We cannot all go on a mission trip to rebuild a home in Appalachia. But every one of us, even here and now in our time and place, could be stretched and start to experience why this is the first and most important commandment. If we can take these words seriously and constantly use them to challenge us and ask ourselves, for example, is what I'm going to say or not say demonstrating that I love the Lord God with all my heart? Is what I'm going to do or not do illustrating that I love the Lord God with all my soul? Is what I'm pursuing in my life showing that I love the Lord God with all my mind? Is the world around me different? Because my love of God is so all-consuming, I don't even realize how I'm loving my neighbor as myself.